Today, as we uh, end this kind of three-part series called Directions, we are going to be talking about God's will, God's way. Uh, We've been asking this question, how do we discover God's will? Because this is a question that all of you and I have asked at one point in our lives. And we've been saying throughout this sermon series, the way that God speaks and the way that God directs is not through signs, it's not through supernatural, spectacular message and so on and so forth. But the way that God speaks to us is through what? Remember this word that we've been using? Through? Say it with me, through? Wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom, we've said, is competence in regard to the complex realities of life. Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Wisdom is not identical to moral values. Wisdom is not identical to moral goodness. You don't really need sometimes moral values and moral goodness to be a wise, discerning person because a lot of the questions that you are asking today, and I'm just going to look out generally and say this, some of you here are asking this question. You are dating somebody, you guys broke up, and now you're dating them again. And you're saying... Am I doing the right thing? Some of you are about to graduate college and you have absolutely no clue what you want to do. And you're asking the question, what career path should I pursue? There are some of you that are new parents. And as you are parenting, and as they go through this two years old, four years old, six years old, I'm asking this question, how much freedom, how much responsibility do we give our children as they grow older? Some of you are in positions where you own jobs or businesses, and you're saying, I want to be able to ask certain people to step up into larger role. Who should I ask? Who should I ask? Last week, we talked about asking people who are older, wiser for discernment, for wisdom. Some of you guys walked out. By the way, it was really encouraging for me to get emails from you guys and saying it was really hard to hear, but I'm thankful that you talked about it because my literal source of wisdom is my peers. Peter, that's all. And so we're just basically sharing our peer wisdom with one another. And I need to find folks who are further along the journey to do life with. But then as you sit back and you go, well, who, who, who do I ask? Who are the people I pursue? Who are the people that I ask to be a part of this discernment process with? These questions and 80% of life decisions, they're not about is it good or bad. They're not about is it right or wrong. But there are decisions that require wisdom, competence, as you look at multiple choices, four, five, six, six different choices and paths you can take. Which one should I take? The, the, the central anchoring verse we looked at to begin this series was Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And remember this analogy metaphor that we've been working with. We said that life is like walking a path. Life is like walking a path. It's left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. What is walking a path like? Walking a path is steady. It's mundane. It's repeated. Sometimes it's boring. Left, right, left, right. But you do left, right, left, right, left, right, and ultimately you get to a place. You reach a destination. And what we've been saying throughout this sermon series is that who we become, the people that we wind up becoming, is not a result of big events, crisis events. Who we becoming is a result of little decisions, little choices, small decisions, small choices, everyday attitudes, basic attitudes, small 
disciplines that are repeated over and over and over again. Who you and I become in our 30s and our 40s is a result of how we go about our 20s and the left, right, left, right. Steady, repeated disciplines, attitudes, choices, and decisions. Wisdom is a pathway. How do you get wisdom? Our culture would like to say wisdom is like a door. Wisdom is like a door, meaning there's a key. Turn the key. You open the door and you go in. The way that looks in our culture is wisdom. If you get the right information, read the right books, here's six steps to a successful marriage. Read the book and you'll have a successful marriage. Go to that seminar, pay X amount of money, and listen to what the expert has to say. By the way, do you realize we live in a culture, in the pastoral ministry, there are more books written by 20-somethings than ever before. And I have older wives, I said to you last week, I don't make any, I don't make a single decision in my life without consulting older wiser people. And one of these older wise people said to me, Peter, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, don't write a book until you're in your 50s or 60s. I said, why? He said, because as you enter your 50s, 60s, you would be amazed at how much what you thought in your 20s and 30s was completely and totally wrong. But we live in a culture where it says, are you an expert? If you got the right technique, right information, then you can be an expert. The Bible says that wisdom is a long, patient quest of left, right, left, right, left. There's no quick, easy solution to becoming wise. It takes time. It takes discipline. Over and over and over again. Uh, so we talk, we've been talking about the last two weeks about these left-right disciplines, right? We're talking about the gospel and pounding the gospel. You've got to know yourself. And one of the things that we talked about was this. The wisdom comes from knowing God's database of his ways. Wisdom comes from knowing database of God's ways. That is what the proverb says, keeping God's commands in your heart. And here's the, here's the point that we put up. He said, the more familiar we become with the providential will of God, that is, as you look at Scripture, the providential will of God is those things that God clearly outlines. This, this is what I'm up to. This is what I'm going to do. And the more familiar we become to what God is already up to, to what God is already going to do, and secondly, the more obedient we become to God's moral will. The more obedient we become to what God has clearly outlined in Scripture as these are the things that I want you to do, the more discerning and competent we become at discerning God's personal will for our lives. I said this, Ted. Why are some of us asking God's will for certain areas where God has clearly already communicated? Why do some of us go, God, what's your will for my life? You know what that is? It's called a stall tactic. What's God's will for my life in this area? When God says, I have clearly communicated already. Listen, let me, let me read you an email. <laughs> I, I love how honest and transparent our church is. What resonated with me in your point about knowing and obeying God's revealed will in order to better discern God's will for my life and my personal decisions. I think what you said is very insightful. Right now, as I'm thinking about how to rank my fellowship, it's a doctor, programs and where to go, what to do after fellowship, academic or private job, who to marry. I love what he says. It's not that I have many options right now. Very honest. 
I'm especially convicted about my lack of obedience to what I know God wants me to do or not want me to do. Yet over the past few years, more than before, I sort of turned a blind eye to many of my past convictions and disciplines and right out willingly disobeyed God. I told myself that since I wasn't getting what I wanted and because God was not fair to me, I'm just going to do what other people do. Of course, I rationalize it much better than that. I mean, why kill myself trying to obey God when it seems like everyone else ends up in the same place in this life? says, so as I write this, I can see how stupid that sounds. But I think with, the, with time, it, I just got worn out. I believe that is when my subtle, slow, spiritual decline really began. He's so honest. There's no one sitting there going, God, what's your will for my life in this relationship? You know what God's will is. You should have ended it like yesterday. God, is it, is it your will for me to witness to that person? You don't need to pray about it. <laughs> Share the gospel. God, I, I don't know. I don't know. if I, 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 Should I forgive? Yes, you should forgive. Why are we praying about areas and saying, God, what's your will? When God has clearly laid it out in Scripture, I feel like sometimes God's up there going, why are you asking me about things you don't know when you have no intention of doing things that you already do know? Or another way to put it, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't do what we know. And God's up there going, I've said to you clearly in my word what my will is, what I'm going to do, what I'm up to. And I've already clearly communicated to you in this covenant loving relationship. More more will, the more familiar we become to what God is already up to and the more obedient we become to what God has already said. It's amazing. This is the reason why I think I told you guys. I've met brand new Christians who could hear from God so clearly, it's spooky. Do you know why? <laughs> they don't read the word in Scripture and go, love your neighbor. And they don't go, love, what does it mean? Let's parse that in Greek. There's four different ways. I know C.S. Lewis says something about four different lines. They just go, love. I, I, I'm not loving. I need to love. It's amazing. A brand new Christians will read scripture and go, that's what it says, that's what I do. And then as we get older, we don't become wiser, we become dumber. You know what I'm talking about? I just, this is how scripture, the Bible says, helps us become competent and making good, wise decisions, you guys, with regards to complex realities of life. As we grow spiritually, as we become more familiar. So last time I'm going to say this, familiar with God's ways, and we become obedient to what God has already said in scripture. It's amazing how much clarity that comes, how much wisdom we get to the complex, I have multiple options, God, what do I do, decisions of life. Okay, so today, we're asking this question. Today, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision. Now what? That's the question. Now, now what do we do? And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs one last time and the subject of wisdom. In Scripture, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures, the word guidance comes from the root word that was used for rope. Rope. Why? Because ropes were used for navigation. Any people sail in our church? Sailors? People sail? Nobody? Nobody sail? Okay. All right. So is this analogy going to totally like over your head? No? Okay. So imagine people who sail. Okay. Ropes were used to raise the sails to catch wind when they want to go. 
Ropes were used to lower the sails in order to change directions. And sometimes ropes were also used to lower the sails and tie them when storms came. Ropes were method or, or, or instruments of, of guidance, of navigation. And the book of Proverbs says, when to the question of how do you get guidance? How do you get God's direction in your life so that you're not lost of course? You're not wandering aimlessly, but then you're being guided by God. Here's what the scripture says. First, embrace the cost of God's guidance. Embrace the cost of God's guidance. You want navigation? You want guidance? Embrace the cost of God's guidance. Proverbs is like hard candy. Proverbs, you don't just put it in your mouth and go, <coughs> Proverbs is hard candy that you put in your mouth and you roll around your tongue. Mm. Mm. You don't just swallow it. You don't just bite into it because you hurt yourself. Proverbs, book of Proverbs, is that thing that you put in your tongue and you put it, roll it, you look at it this way, you look at it this way, and then you think about it, you think about it some more, you meditate, you study, back and forth. That's Proverbs. Why? Because look at the verses we're going to look at today. <laughs> See, so you know what I'm talking about? Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. That does not say what you think it says. Hard candy, hard candy, mm. hard candy. You think that says this, commit your plans to the Lord and your deeds will succeed. Meaning, commit whatever it is that you want to do to the Lord and the execution will be successful. God will bless it. So, God, I commit where I want to go to grad school to you. And God leads you to go to the right grad school. God, I commit my future and these relationships to you, and God blesses that relationship. God, I commit my finances to you, or marriage to you, and God somehow allows success in that marriage. So I commit my plans to you, and the execution will succeed. That proverb says the exact opposite. You know what it's saying? It's saying, commit your results to the Lord. It's saying, commit the conclusion to the Lord. Are you tracking? Commit whatever happens in that area to the Lord. Commit the deeds to the Lord, all of it. Whatever happens, the conclusion, the results, and you will become more and more a person who makes wise decisions. It's the opposite of what you think it's saying. Commit the results to the Lord. But I don't, I don't know what happened. Commit the results to the Lord. But that's kind of scary. I know. Commit whatever will happen in this area to the Lord. But that's kind of scary. I know. Commit, God, whatever. Commit those things to the Lord. And you will become a person who makes wise decisions. A person who plans successfully. There's other translations that get to the heart of this that NIV is not really helpful. Here's one version. Roll your works upon the Lord. That is, commit and trust them wholly to him. And he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. 
and so shall your plans be established and succeed. The word commit literally means to roll over onto or to put all your weight on. And what this proverb is saying is if you would unconditionally and radically trust the results to that to the Lord, if you will unconditionally radically trust whatever the conclusion is to the Lord, if you will unconditionally radically say, God, this area of my life, the results, the consequences, it's yours. I give it to you. Then God says, and you will become a person who makes wise decisions. Are you tracking? <laughs> Trevor still says, I'm not tracking with you. What does it mean to trust God with the outcome and the results? Elizabeth Elliot, Through Gates of Splendor. Anybody read that? I read that in college and just blew my mind. I wanted to be Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary who was martyred in his 20s. And Elizabeth Elliot is his wife. And she's written a number of really good books. And this is one of her quotes. The more we pay a price for guidance, the more we are likely to listen to it. Listen, advice from a friend, which is free, we may take it or leave it. Advice from a consultant, we are more likely to listen to it, but it's still our choice. We may take it or leave it, but the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice, but for God's will, and that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest of them all. It requires the highest fee. To ask God for guidance requires abandonment. We no longer come and say, if I trust you, you will give me such and such. Instead, we must say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you choose. Or to use John Newton, famous author of Amazing Grace, what you will, when you will, how you will. Trevor, make sense now? You want to be wise and make decisions in that area? God says, come to me and go what you will, when you will, how you will. What you will, when you will. We don't do that. Here's what we do. God, if I trust you, God, if I trust you in this area, then you will fill in the blank. God, if I trust you, if I commit to you, if I give myself, fill in the blank. And the Proverbs is saying, you want to make good decisions? Come to God and go what you will, when you will, how you will. Period. Can I, for some of us that are feeling like that's really uncomfortable, let me kind of ratchet up a little bit more. Is to come to God and go, God, I will obey anything you say in that area, whether I agree or not. God, I will accept anything in that area, whether I understand or not. But I'm not going to bail on you, no matter what. God, I'm not going to bail on you because you don't answer my prayer. God, I'm not going to bail on you because it's not happening at the time frame I want it to happen to. 
God, I'm not going to bail on you because this clearly is not what I planned. God, I'm not going to bail on you because it makes no sense to me. The Bible says that only when you and I go through life saying, God, what you will, when you will, how you will, I trust the results, the consequences, the execution to you and totally commit to him. That's the only way you and I become people who make wise decisions. Not to which all of us here and go, that's easy, man. We all do it. Let's move on, Peter. We don't do that. So do you know what God does? Do you remember this principle? Wisdom comes from knowing trouble. Wisdom comes from knowing trouble. Why? Do you remember this proverb? 311, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And we've said, you'll never be wise without knowing trouble. You'll never be wise. It's part of the path, part of the inevitable training of learning wisdom is discipline. And now maybe all of us is coming, it's just coming together. Because can I, can I ask you, how many of us would say that it's our flaws, it's our flaws that causes us to make stupid decisions? It's our flaws that causes us to make dumb decisions. Raise your hand. Thank you. Now here's it, both hands and our toes and everything else, all the digits we have. Here's the thing. Nobody in this room has ever learned about their flaws by being told. You have to be shown. Nobody in this room has ever learned about their flaws by being told. Your mother has been telling you about your flaws your entire life. <laughs> Nobody in this room learns about their flaws by being told we have to be shown. And it is through discipline that we see our flaws. And we see what causes us to make a bad decision. And it is only as the loving hand of the Heavenly Father begins to work through our flaws that we begin to see our flaws more and more, which means that we begin to make wiser and wiser decisions. Can I give a couple examples of our flaws causes us to make dumb decisions? It's okay to want to like, it's okay to want to be in a relationship. It's okay to want to be in a romantic relationship. It's okay to want somebody to love you. But if loving some, somebody loving you is the thing you have to have, if somebody being in a relationship with you is the absolute thing that you need to have to feel secure, you are going to date the wrong people. And you're going to be in relationships way longer than you actually need to. You're going to have stupid goals. You're going to have destructive goals in relationships. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Parents, it's okay to love your children. But if your children is the source of your identity, your whole life revolves around them. <laughs> you're going to want to live vicariously through them. You're going to exasperate them, as Scripture says. You're going to have goals for them, dumb goals for them, stupid goals for them, destructive goals for them. How many of us are aware of the flaws that's causing us to make bad decisions? Here's another, a why God disciplines us. How many of us have, in this room have actually learned that God loves us deeply, truly, because somebody tells us? Similar 
We don't learn that God loves us being told. I tell you every Sunday, every Sunday. And you walk out here on Monday morning, you're like, God doesn't love me. You do, because I forget too. You know what? You, don't, you can't learn it by being told. You have to what? Be shown. Do you know what that means? That means most of us need to go through life where we are convinced that God has abandoned us. We are convinced that God has abandoned us. And we curse him. We curse other people. And we just go, God, you are nowhere to be found. Only to realize much later, God was there all along. That he was working. He never abandoned you. And that process, where are you? Oh my gosh, you were there all along. I don't know if you care. You love me that deeply. It has been over and over and over and over again for us to finally get to a place where you go, God loves me eternally. God loves me infallibly. God loves me completely. And the book of Proverbs says that wise people are people who fully put their trust in God, and the result is wise people have a calm. They have an inner poise that no matter what the circumstances are, they don't make decisions impulsively. Pay attention, Peter. They don't make decisions emotionally. Circumstances, there's an inner calm, inner poise of knowing God loves me. God is with me. God is for me. God is at work at all times, at all times. And no matter what the storms are raging inside of us, there is inner poise and inner calm through it all, saying, he's with me, he's for me, he's guiding me. Author Proverbs says, roll your weight, commit, commit the results, commit the conclusion, commit whatever happens to the Lord. And the Bible says, and you begin to see more and more your flaws. And you also begin to see more and more how much he is for you, how much he loves you, how much he's at work in you. And that causes you to become wise. That is to make good, wise decisions through the complex realities of life. You need to count the cost of God's guidance. Can you do that? Can you, can you do that? Can you roll over everything on them? Can you commit? Not yet? Okay, here's the second point. Embrace the paradox of God's guidance. Embrace the paradox of God's guidance. And I'm deeply indebted to another pastor for this insight right here. Hard candy. Here it is, Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Let me read that one more time. The plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste leads to profit. The word haste literally means to be impulsive. And the word diligent can be translated strategic, strategic. And some of you guys will really resonate this. The Proverbs is saying if you are thoughtful, if you're strategic, if you're reflective, you plan ahead. Does this describe anybody? Thoughtful, strategic, plan ahead, you'll make good decisions. If you're impulsive and, and just kind of acting, then you're prone to make bad decisions. So be thoughtful, be reflective, be strategic. You're like, that makes sense. Yep. And then you get this proverb. <laughs> Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from who? From the Lord. Let me read that one more time. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots was like flipping coins, okay? So if they had football back then, they would have cast lots instead of flipping coins. 
And this proverb is saying that every little coin toss, every little detail, every little thing that happens in our lives is fixed, is determined by the Lord. Are you paying attention? Hard candy. Those two things we can't hold in our brains together. One hand you're saying, Peter, be strategic, make plans, be reflective, be thoughtful, do your thing, and you'll make, and then the other hand you're saying everything is planned from the Lord. The Bible says these two very things. Let me show you. Proverbs 16, uh, Proverbs 16, 1. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. And then there's this one, verse 9. In his heart, a man plans his course. Read the next part with me. Ready? But the Lord determines his steps. Heart candy. The Bible says these two things at the same time. Your plans are yours. Your strategy are yours. So make good decisions. Because if you don't, there will be consequences. You make good decisions, good consequences. Bad decisions, bad consequences. So be a good decision maker. On the other hand, the Bible says everything is determined. Everything is fixed. Everything moves according to the plan of God. At the same time. At the same time. Hard candy. Hard candy. The Bible says it's not 50 you, 50 God. The Bible doesn't say it's, for some of us, 80% you, 20% God. The Bible says it's 100% up to you and what you do, but 100% determined and fixed by God. Is that good news to anybody? Is that good news to anybody? It ought to be great news to you. Do you know why? Let's think about this for a second. If you believed in one or the other exclusively, you can't live a decent life. I'll give you an example. If you truly believe that everything, everything is determined, everything is fixed, everything is already planned and mapped out, how can you possibly live with any sense of motivation? We'd be indifferent. We'd be passive. We'd say, who cares? Nothing matters. What I do doesn't matter. We might even be cynical and be bored. Problem is, in our culture, we don't struggle with that as much. We struggle with this, the other half. Ever hear this? Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Two things real quick. Let's be thoughtful. If you really believe that, I don't know about you, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Do you know why? If my future is totally determined fixed by me, if my future was totally determined by the decisions that I make, good and the bad decisions that I make, I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I've used this analogy before. When I was 23 years old, I tried everything I can to marry a girl. And if I had married her, it would have been the absolute disastrous thing to do. In my 20s, I made, how many of us have made decisions where you look back and you go, thank the Lord that that did not turn out the way that I thought it would. Can I get an amen? All of us have those stories in here. When I was in my 20s, two-thirds of the decisions that I made and the things that I wanted, like, I have to have it. I, if I had gotten them, my life would have been disastrous. I'm 44 now, and I'm asking the question, Peter, what are you batting now? What's your percentage now? I don't know, maybe 30%, maybe 40%. Maybe I'm doing slightly better than in my 20s, but what thinking wise person would want to live a life in which all of my Life and how it's determined the future and the way it plans out is totally and utterly up to me. I wouldn't. I'd stay in bed. I'd stay in bed. 
Second thing about this, this is the reason why some of us are sitting here and you're totally fried right now. Because your life posture is, it's all up to me. It's all up to me. You're carrying that weight. Good Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we didn't talk about this until now. And lean not on your understanding. The word lean literally means to lean your weight on something as if for assistance. When I was a senior in high school, I sprained my left knee. Left knee. Ankle. <laughs> Sorry. Ankle. Ankle. Went out for a spike, came down, rolled my ankle over another. I was on crutches for six weeks for the first time ever. Crutches. Anybody been on crutches? Six weeks. It was the most painful draining experience of my life. But so is the experience of leaning on your ingenuity, leaning on your smarts, leaning on your resources, leaning on yourself to make things happen, to go places. And to make your future. Some of you are just exhausted, frustrated, and totally wiped out. Because your posture is, I'm leaning on my ingenuity, I'm leaning on my wisdom, I'm leaning on my resources, I'm leaning on my smarts to make things happen. And what the Bible says is intellectually wild, I know, but it's completely practical. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says your choices and decisions are yours. They matter. Make good decisions. Make good choices. Be wise. Be strategic. Be reflective. But <laughs> God determines your future. The Bible says make decisions. They matter. Be wise. Ask counsel. Be prayerful. Be reflective. Good decisions. But at the end, an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God somehow, somehow weaves our decisions and our choices, both the good and the bad, in such a way that he determines, he fixes our future in a way that it brings glory to God, good to me, and salvation for the world. Can I get an amen? God says, that you can relax and get out of bed in the morning. Why? Make decisions. Make good decisions. But God makes your decisions, your choices, and your things in life, and he weaves them to his future for you in such a way that an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God who knows you the best, who loves you the most, and who desires the best for you, weaves them in such a way that the conclusion and the result is that it brings greater glory to God, somehow good for me, and somehow life and salvation for the world. Everything is under the control of a sovereign, loving, powerful God. I don't know about you, but that's the only way I get up in the morning and I use wisdom and prayerful, but I can go about with boldness and courage knowing God's got my back. God's got my back. And the best story in this of all, it's always Ms. Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? 
Joseph, you read that Old Testament story. Joseph is becoming a spoiled, rotten brat. He's 17 years old, and he is getting cocky and arrogant. Why? The Bible literally says, and Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. Good parenting, right? <laughs> so when you see that, if you're a psychologist, it's a joy to see. When you see the family dynamic, Jacob dotes on Joseph. Multicolored coat, please. He's doting on him, and his brothers are getting murderously bitter. So they sell him into slavery. Joseph goes to Egypt, rises, gets accused of rape, thrown into prison. He's in prison, <laughs> helps two guys out. One guy totally forgets about him, languishes in prison year after year, again and again. And the Bible, though, says because, though, of that, because of the injustices, because of the wrongs, because of even the actions of his brother, at the end, somehow, at the end, somehow, at the end, somehow, Joseph becomes a man of greatness. His entire family and his brothers are healed psychologically and emotionally. And at the end, the entire region goes through famine. And the only way that they're safe from starvation is because Joseph is in the position that he's in. And Joseph has the audacity to say this at the end. Do you remember? Genesis 50, 20. You planned evil against me, but God used the same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. I mean, good Lord! The New Testament equivalent is Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good. To which there should be an audible, yes! Does all include tragic things? Does all include senseless things? You know what else all includes? And this is amazing to me. Our rebellion and our sins. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Bible says all things means our rebellion. That means our rebellion, our sin, painful consequences. Painful consequences. But God somehow says... I weave even your sins and your rebellion. I weave sins of other people on you and rebellion of other people on you in such a way that at the end when it's all said and done, it results in glory for me, good for you, and life and salvation for the world that I love. Man, oh man. Is there better news for us to hear today that somehow God weaves even our failing? Some of y'all have been really, really good all of your life. I haven't. So for me to hear, Peter, your failures and your sins are not going to ruin my plans for your life. That is good news. That when your sins and your rebellion get in the way, God says, I don't have a plan B for your life. My plan for your life is advancing exactly as it ought to. You say, how could I trust him? Because of the cross. How could I trust him, Peter? Because of the cross. Because of what he did for me. Because of what he bled for me. Because of what he gave for me. Well, you tell my boss that. Trust me. Nothing your boss can do can ruin God's plan for your life. Nothing that boy said to you about not wanting to be with you can ruin God's plan for your life. Cancer can't. Death can't. Nothing can ruin God's plan for your life. Nothing. People go, well, 
Peter, I need direction. I need guidance. Here's the biblical truth. Ready? You're standing in it. You're in the middle of it, and the current is carrying you along. You're being guided right now. You may not think so. You may not believe it, but you are being guided right now by the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Is that good news to anybody? Oh, man. We are being carried along. Peter, I don't know if I'm going to... Trust me, you are in the center of God's will. God's guidance is not just something that God gives. God's guidance is something that God does. I'm being guided. Through tragedy, through tragedy. I'm being guided. Through senseless things, through senseless things. I'm being guided through my rebellion, through your rebellion. I'm being guided even through my sins, even through your sins. You're being guided. You're being guided. Church, is this good news to anybody? Oh, man. That means that you can get up tomorrow morning and go, God's leading me. God's leading me. God's guiding me. God's guiding me. God's got me. He's got my back. Oh, man. Never, ever think that God is not working, that God is not guiding you. You are standing in the middle of the current of his will. That's why you can be calm in the storm. You could be calm when the circumstances don't make sense. Third, embrace the responsibility of God's guidance. Embrace the responsibility of God's guidance. <laughs> and if you've been here before, you've heard me say this. You know, so when people come to me and go, Peter, I need to make a decision. I need God's guidance. I need guidance. I go, oh, well, make a decision. No, no, you're a pastor. I need more spiritual advice. I go, no, no, make a decision. What do you, make a decision. We don't want to make a decision. We don't want, we go, though, but, but I don't have peace about it. If I, and I, I'm going to say this one last time. If Jesus depended on his feelings for whether to go to the cross or not, where would you and I be? Right? Here's the reason why I say you need to make a decision. We don't want to make a decision. And I think part of it is because making a decision means that we need to be responsible for the decision and own the decision. That's why sometimes we want God to just tell us. God, just tell me. Not because, you know, I'm obedient. God, just tell me. Why? Because if it doesn't work out throughout, what, what was that all about? No, no, no. I chose it. Let me give an example. Noah's three years old right now. Three <laughs> summers, Noah would go, Daddy, can I go outside and play? Sure, Noah Bear, go outside and play. It's nice outside. When dinner time, Daddy's going to call you, okay? Okay. Little Noah playing in the courtyard. So cute. Fast forward 17 years later. He's 20 years old. He's in college. 5 p.m., my phone rings. Hello? Hi, Dad. Hey, Noah, what's up? Can I go outside and play? I don't know. <laughs> what's happening? Well, they're kids, you know, and my friends are playing outside and football and, okay. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, can I go? I, you're 20 years old. You know what exams you need to study for. You know what papers are due. You know what your schedule's like for the rest of the day. Go make a decision and play. Listen, there are parents, you know who you are, who would love for their children to be that emotionally dependent on them. God is not one of them. God is not one of them. He's saying, grow up. Make a decision. 
But what if I make the wrong decision? Here's the great news. You ready? So if Chicago is not it and you go to Miami, and right now Miami sounds really, really good. You go to Miami and Miami doesn't work out the way I thought it would. Do you know why you wound up in Miami? Hello? Because in Miami, you will learn lessons that you otherwise would not have been able to learn had you been in Chicago. So you're being guided. Well, I don't know, should I have made that decision? It's the wrong career path. God says, if you made that wrong career path, you will learn things about me, about yourself, in that choice that you otherwise would not have been learned. You're being guided. Are you hearing me? So say it with me. Make a decision. And God's got you. Is that good news? Again, I think many of us, it's because we don't want to be responsible for the decision we make. We don't want to own it. And that's because we don't trust God, which gets me to the last point. Embrace the grace of God's guidance. See, <sighs> so you can come on up. So it says, make a radically unconditional trust commitment to God in everything. And God will guide you to become the kind of person who makes wise choices. Make a radical, con- unconditional trust commitment to God in everything and God will guide you to become the kind of person who makes wise decisions. But the question is, who does that? Who in this room, who in this room could honestly say, I have done that. I have made a total radical, unconditional commitment. I have rolled everything to God. None of us can say that and yet, oh my goodness, guidance still comes. Why? This is my last analogy of navigation. Mark 4, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. And the storms are raging around him. And their captain, their navigator is <laughs> sound asleep. And the disciples wake Jesus up and go, hey, 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 Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care we're dying? Don't you care we're drowning? And right about now, Many of us are in very familiar emotional terrain because right now, many of us in this room are going, don't you care? Don't you love me? Don't you care that I'm drowning? Don't you care I'm dying? And Jesus, listen, Jesus, who is normally incredibly patient, incredibly loving with people, even the worst of sinners, is short with disciples. He gets up and he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And I've wondered, church, about why Jesus is short with his disciples in that text. And I realized why, because as a parent, I could relate. Because my children, this just happened this past week, my children, who my wife and I hopefully have given our entire lives for, at some point will cross their will and they'll look at me and go, You don't love me anymore. Or as Noah says, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a three year old nonsense, but it still hurts. It's like, oh, and then he gets his spanking. Um, (laughs) But listen, I wish Noah had the mental capacity for him to understand. If I were to sit him down and go, Noah, do you know how much mommy and daddy sacrificed for you? Do you know how many countless hours we stayed up night for you? Do you know how many countless hours? Do you know how many diapers we've changed? Do you know how many poop that? Do you know? He doesn't have the capacity to do that. And I think Jesus, when he said, where's your faith, was saying to his disciples, don't you care that I'm dying? Don't you care that I'm drowning? 
Jesus is literally looking at his disciples, you guys, and saying, there's a storm coming. There's a cosmic storm coming of God's eternal justice and wrath for the sins of humanity. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, and I'm going to go through the storm of all storms without any navigation because the Father is going to turn his face away. I'm going to go through the worst cosmic storm in the history of mankind without any navigation. I'm going to be abandoned by the Father. Why? Why? So that whatever storms you and I go through, and we go, God, are you with me? God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The reason why I was abandoned without navigation is so that, listen carefully, you in your life will never, ever have to go through it without navigation. That even though you and I don't deserve it, it still comes to us. Why? Because he did that. He did that. He did that. Look to Jesus. Look to God. Look to the one who says, because I went through the storm of the justice of God with that navigation so that you will go through the rest of your life always knowing that you will have me at the helm. You will always have me as your navigator. That's the only way when you are in a still decision right now and saying, God, are you with me? Are you for me? God, can I really commit and roll over everything onto you? God, can I trust you with the consequences, with the results? God, can I do that? That the answer that God says is yes. You can trust me. See, today as we end this sermon series, There are those of us who haven't done that, who haven't done I roll over everything. There are those of us who are afraid. There are those of us who literally today can't say, God, I have given everything to you. God, I have committed everything to you. God, how you will, when you will, what you will. But I'm not going to bail. And some of us need to do that today. Some of us make that commitment today as we are in this season of Lent. Some of us need to go through this season of Lent saying, how you will, when you will, what you will. I'm not bailing. I'm not bailing.